Thanks for listening to the Cornerstone Tulsa podcast. Our mission is to cultivate communities shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. We'd love for you to join us on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We're calling this year the Year of the Bible as we read and study through the Bible cover to cover. On August 25th, we'll kick off the New Testament along with home-based small groups who will study the weekly reading together. If you'd like more information about any of this, visit our website at cornerstonetulsa.org. And with that, let's hop into this week's teaching. Okay, this is Malachi 4, um, verse 1 and 2. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left of them. But you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness, will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Okay, let's pray. God, we are so thankful for this community that you have formed here. We pray that this uh, scripture and this teaching will come alive to us, and Holy Spirit, that you would make it something that um, is dug deep in our hearts, and then throughout the week and the months ahead, that we would be reminded of this teaching and of this truth that we're about to learn, and that you would give us the strength um, to be obedient to it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, amen. You guys can be seated. What do we talk about when we talk about the love of God? I remember a really distinct and life-changing moment my freshman year of college. Um, I was sitting in my dorm room. I lived in Kerr Drummond. So for those of you who went to OSU, you know that that building is like 1,000 years old and infested with cockroaches. So I'm sitting on my bed surrounded by my cockroaches. Um, and I'm, I'm at this point where I just... I'm ready to know more about Jesus. I'm just longing to know more about him. And so I stumble onto this sermon by Judah Smith, and it's about this remarkable story in the Gospel of John. So the story is about a man named Lazarus, and Lazarus is deathly ill. So his sisters, who are close friends of Jesus, they construct this letter and they send it off to Jesus, who's in another town. Um, And the entire contents of the letter are this. The one you love is sick. So these sisters, their names are Mary and Martha, and we read about them a couple times in the gospel narratives. And they were pretty close friends of Jesus. He comes over to their house for dinner. We know at least Mary considered herself a disciple of his. So they know him really well. And so they use that knowledge to write this letter to Jesus. And what was astounding to me was that they didn't write down Lazarus's track record, his resume, a laundry list of reasons that he deserved to be healed. All they said to Jesus was, the one you love is sick. They knew something vitally important to the nature of Jesus. The only thing that could convince Jesus to turn around and come to the aid of a dying man was Jesus's own love. The one you love is sick. 
So keep that story in mind. Today we are going to talk about the book of Malachi. And have you guys read it? It's, it's intense. It's an intense book. <laughs> so um, it's this small, obscure book that most people flip to on accident when they're looking for Matthew, but they go too far back. Um, it's the last book of the Old Testament, and it's called an oracle. So an oracle was like a really heavy message, like a burden for the one who was speaking it. And it's written by the prophet Malachi. And he's writing to Israelites who were living in Judah after the exile. Um, and the thing about these Israelites is that their story is a lot like Lazarus's story. So these Israelites are sick as well. But in Malachi, Israel's sickness has taken an incredibly sinister turn. And they're not sick in body, they're sick in spirit. So Malachi is sent on to speak on behalf of God to address these sins and the sickness of Israel. So if you're doing Year of the Bible with us, or you've been keeping up with our sermons, and you know the story of Israel is incredibly rich and tumultuous, and it's a roller coaster. And we've been in the Old Testament for about eight months now, which is long enough to know that Israel was a nation of rebellion instead of a nation of blessing. So their story, it comes to this climax when the nation is overtaken by Assyria and Babylon and the best and brightest are carried off to foreign lands. So the exile was God's execution of righteous judgment. Um, but God stopped short of full judgment, and he allowed a sliver of Israel to survive and return home to Israel. So the book of Ezra puts it this way. He says, After all that has come upon us for our evil deed and great guilt, you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserved and have given us a remnant. So Malachi's audience are the people who made it through the fire of exile by God's mercy. And that being said, we expect these people to be awesome. We think, you made it through. You, you learned your lessons, right? And we think of Daniel and Nehemiah and we cling to this hope that these people who are rebuilding in Jerusalem had learned from exile. And we turn the page to Malachi, hoping to find a letter of encouragement and joy, but we don't. Instead, the book of Malachi gives us a front row seat to a really brutal confrontation between the people of Israel and the God of Israel. And we learn about these four sins that were characterizing the people of Israel. So right now, we are going to walk through those four sins. And then we're going to look at why I believe Israel was so prone to failure. And we're going to close with the conversation about the Messiah. So diving into our four sins, Malachi jumps right in. He doesn't hesitate. And he confronts the priests of the society. So these are the elite, these are the shepherds, these are the ones who are supposed to be protecting the other people. But the priests had fallen into sickness too. So they were offering blind, crippled, and sick animals 
during sacrifices at the temple. I'm sure you guys are all really smart and know everything about ancient sacrifices, so I'm not going to explain that. But <laughs> um, actually, God required pure animals for sacrifices. So the priests were bringing impure animals. They weren't bringing the best in their flocks. And whether it was out of um, contempt or laziness or to save money, um, this showed incredible disrespect for Yahweh and for his temple. So if the priests were being lazy, we know that this is going to trickle down to the people too. So we're going to call our first sin broken worship. So then we're going to move on. In Malachi's second chapter, he addresses this widespread practice of adultery and divorce. So this isn't just among the priests. This is among all of the people. And the men, who were the only ones with the legal ability to divorce, were divorcing their Israelite wives, and they were marrying foreign women. And this caused a multitude of issues. The first issue is that when a woman was divorced, she lost her safety net. She lost her place in society. She lost a patriarchal figure to take care of her. That was a very serious issue. And then the second issue is that this grieved God. He never intended for divorce to run rampant among his people. And it shows that they have this lack of value for covenant and for one another. And finally, and something that Israel should have known, was that when you married a foreign woman, you married her foreign god. And this started to create cracks in the foundation of Israel. So this one is relationship. And then moving on, we have God addressing Israel's lack of faith in his justice. So the people had been through exile. They were under bad circumstances. They were in economic turmoil. And so they were thinking and talking to one another and making snide remarks. Morality doesn't matter. Look at where we are. What's going to happen if we're good or we're bad? So God confronts this because their obsession with suffering and bad circumstances led them to abandon morality and pursue evil. So this is the sin of their values. And finally, we have the Israelites giving up on a trusting relationship with God, and this showed through their tithing. So the Israelites stopped tithing. And when God set up the practice of tithing, he did so to create a partnership. Should the Israelites make a habit of tithing and trusting God with their resources, he would bless them. And he says it in Malachi, I long to bless you if only you knew. But the Israelites had this white knuckle grip on their resources and on their trust. And so our fourth sin is in their lifestyle. So we're just, Malachi has four chapters. And just a couple chapters in, we see where and how the Israelites are failing to be the people that God called them to be. We see them rebelling deeply in worship, relationship, justice, and lifestyle. And though they were physically back from exile, we get this heartbreaking, gut-wrenching feeling that their hearts are not. We're forced to ask this dreaded question. How on earth did you get here? How are we here again? You haven't even been back that long. Did exile fail? Where is the crack in your foundation? 
So I want to bring us back to the question I began with. What do we talk about when we talk about the love of God? So we're going to open to Malachi 1, verse 2. If you have your Bibles, you can go there. It'll be on the screen as well. So this, the book opens with a really unique conversation between God and Israel. And God says to Israel, I have always loved you. And Israel responds, how? What are you talking about? Where have you loved us? God responds again, was not Jacob Esau's brother, yet I loved Jacob. So you'd think in this conversation that Israel would respond to God's declaration of love and commitment with gratitude, with humility, with awe, but instead they respond with resentment, with an argument. There was a gap between God, what God was saying and demonstrating and what Israel was understanding and believing. And I think this is an important point to note because we still do this. I know that I do this. I struggle to accept God's declaration of love and commitment. So when we ask, how did Israel fail? And how do we continue to fail? I think the answer is right here in the first verse of Malachi. The problem of rebellion is a fundamental misunderstanding of the love of God. So we're going to look through two uh, features of God's love that Israel missed and that I think we need reminding of. So the first thing we're going to look at is God's love as a choice. So the clearest image I have of this choosing love is adoption. So for those of you who don't know, I was adopted from Bulgaria. My mom's already crying. So my mom and dad are here. They're in the audience. And um, I didn't tell them I was going to talk about this, so this is fun. Um, so I was adopted from Bulgaria when I was 19 months old. And I have learned so much about God's love through this. Um, so I want you guys to think of it this way. So my parents decided a long time before I was in the picture that they wanted a baby. And so for years, they were filling out papers, they were doing their research, they were contacting people, they were saving money, they were doing a tremendous amount of work because they wanted a kid. And so into their process, someone sent them my picture and they said, that's her, I want her. And bear in mind, I have no idea who these people are at this time. I don't know their names, I don't know their faces, I don't know I need them, and I don't know they're looking for me. But they are. And eventually, they're reading parenting books, they're painting a baby room for me, and then they're flying to Bulgaria to come and get me. And that is the choosing love of God. This is how God loves us. He knows us before we know him. He knows our names. He's preparing a room for us and he's coming to get us. And this might all be before we even know about God. And then, past that, 
My parents continued to raise me. They didn't just go pick me up from Bulgaria. They did the heavy lifting of feeding me and raising me and spending time with me when I was in middle school, which was so hard. <laughs> and this is what God does with us. He's, he loves us. He chooses us, and then he stays committed to us. And he spends time with us. And he looks at us in our sin and our brokenness and our really weird attitude problems. And he's like, I love you. I'm in this. I chose you. And I'm not going anywhere. So when God is talking to Israel and he says, I have always loved you. And they respond, how? He brings up this weird kind of um, example about Jacob and Esau. And if you know the story of Jacob and Esau, they were twins, they were Isaac's sons, and Esau was born first. In the ancient Near East, if you were born first, you got all the goods, and you were the one who received the blessing of the family, um, you were the one. But here, God reminds the Israelites of something they'd forgotten. He chose them from the very beginning. So when God chose Jacob, the second born, he disregarded social and cultural norms, and he chose to enact Abraham's blessing through, the, through someone unexpected and undeserving. See it? So another feature of God's love here, and honestly what made me so uncomfortable and makes this book so challenging, is that the majority of it is really harsh, and very intense. John asked me to bring up the fact that there is a line where he says, I want to wipe dung on your faces and push you out of the camp. So we're not playing around here with Malachi. This is some stuff. Um, and so we need to approach that boldly because all of God is good and we can trust him. So when we look at this intensity, we can kind of, once we get past the discomfort and the thing about dung, we can think, <laughs> God confronts the Israelites with such severity and honesty, and he shows his love by addressing what's harmful to the Israelites, what's harmful to us, and makes us sick. So we think of God sometimes as this ominous being who, like, judges us from a couple thousand feet up and, like, makes red check marks when we screw up, then he goes about his business. Um, but this is not... So that is not how he is with us. As shown in Malachi, God is incredibly invested in the lives of his people. We see him address every area of being, worship, relationship, value, lifestyle. So in our apprentice group this past week, we were talking about the judgment of God. And we came to this conclusion. We need God to be against sin. We need God to confront sin. If he didn't, he wouldn't be safe or trustworthy. It's really good news. So the things we see in Malachi that like make our skin crawl and make us think, oh my gosh, I should never show this book to anyone, is actually good news, I promise. Since the Garden of Eden, God has cared about and confronted sin head on. We also find that God's not passive towards his people. In Malachi, God outs the unbearable secrets of the Israelites. 
He uncovers their rebellion, their sickness, their malicious intent. And it's for the sake of freeing them from it. There's this joy in being discovered, in the divine outing of our secrets. God doesn't call us out to be mean or intimidating. Hear that. He's not a bully. He uncovers our secrets as a means of unlocking the doors of our prison cells and inviting us to run free. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He's freeing us. He's not enslaving us. I think God is never unwilling to cause short-term acute pain for the sake of freeing us to long-term reward and freedom. So this is a really important aspect of his love. His love is challenging. His love is honest. And to be loved by God is to be fully known and invited to be the best version of yourself, to be invited to become more like Jesus. And those invitations are going to sting sometimes because we have sin and God's not going to leave it in us. He's going to help us. So we've established a couple of things. God loves Israel. He chose them. He's confronting the sickness that's killing them. Yet through all of this, eight months of reading the Old Testament, thousands of years of Israelite history, and they haven't changed. What's, who's to say that this time will be different? So when we get to Malachi 3 and 4, we get this cryptic foreshadowing of someone who will come someday and answer these questions and solve this problem. He will come to his people and be like a healer. This means that God, along with requiring the people to be righteous, is also going to provide a way for them to do that. In Malachi, God reveals that he is going to take the heavy lifting upon himself. In chapter 3, verse 3, he says, The Messiah will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. So this messenger, this Messiah, will be the fire and the purifier. The Messiah will be the healer of all the brokenness we see in Malachi, all the brokenness we feel in ourselves and see in our world. This was good news for the Israelites, and it's really good news for us. So one of the final verses of Malachi says this, Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire. Not a root or branch will be left to them. This is God saying that he is going to deliver a final, fatal blow to evil. We know this from Genesis 3. Someone is going to come and deal with sin. And he goes on to say, But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves we all want to be like calves. This is our Lazarus 
moment. The ones Jesus loves are sick. Israel is sick and motivated not by Israel's bad track record, not by our sin, but motivated by his own love, his choice, his desire to free us from sin. He is coming to heal, refine, and purify. So Malachi closes on a cliffhanger, leaving us to wonder how and when these issues will be resolved. And for those of us who are lucky enough to live on this side of history, we know what's coming. The time is coming to fill our hearts and our minds with the stories of Jesus. And if we've learned anything from Malachi, aside from being kind of scared, it's that God has been weaving this story of love from the very beginning. The entire Old Testament, as weird and strange as it is sometimes, is about love. And we get to see that deep love narrative unfold even further. So what do we talk about when we talk about the love of God? We talk about God's choice that he made before the foundations of the earth to love humanity and partner with them, to confront evil and send his son to deal the final blow and to heal the sickness that has taken root in his covenant people. So as we go to the table, I want you to reflect on something. When I spoke on Monday, Thursday, I asked a question. Are you letting God love you? Reflect on that, but I also want you to go a little bit further. How is he loving? Do you need to look back at your history with God? Do you need to remember the ways that he has chosen you? Or is the Lord calling you into freedom? Is he using that little kind of stingy confrontation to call you into freedom? And if he is, how is Jesus walking with you in that? Because I guarantee he is in it with you. Let's pray. God, thank you for Malachi. Thank you so much for blessing us with your words. Thank you for this really hard book that actually reveals so much about your love. Lord, I pray that you would bless everyone here, that you'd bless their ears and their minds. I pray that anything they've learned would be planted in good soil that would be fruitful. I pray that the good news of your choosing love would be just soaked into them, Lord. I thank you for this morning and for the opportunity to speak about you. We love you, Jesus, and we trust you. Amen.